back along this winding road to the old familiar markers of the mercies I had known. I know it may sound simple, but it's more than a cliche. There's no other way to tell you but to say God's been good in my life. I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could. Cause through it all, God's been good. Times replay and I can see that I've cried some bitter tears. But I felt his arms around me as I faced my greatest fears. And more gains and losses, and I've known more joy than hurt. But as His grace rolled down upon me, undeserved, God's been good in my life. I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could. Cause through it all, God's been good. God has been my father, my savior, and my friend. His love was my beginning. His love will be my end. I could spend forever trying to tell you everything he is. But the best way I could say it is this. God's been good in my life. I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams. When I go to sleep each night Though I've had my share of hard times I wouldn't change them if I could Cause through it all God's been good God's been Thanks. Thank you so much. It wasn't that awfully long ago. Sue was with us, Don's wife, Kaylee's mother. And uh, when, they start, <laughs> when they started singing that song, something in me hurt for them. And I was kind of surprised because I thought, how in the world are they going to get through that? And uh, that's, but, but you know what, I, I thought to myself, praise the Lord that 
they can still sing, God's been good. Amen? That's awesome. Let's take our Bibles, if you would, and turn over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, um, we're in our uh, Why Remain Faithful study. We'll finish it up today. Somebody's been uh, secretly handing me some tremendous insights. Yes, I, I received, uh, and, and, I, and I have a hard time. I, I shared a few of these in the singles class. I even shared them with uh, the nursing home today uh, when I was preaching there. And, you know, I, I, felt, I felt really like I had cheated you uh, not sharing this. They, they were so moved by it. Like, I, I told them that I regret buying that straight jacket. I thought it would look good on me, but I just can't pull it off. <laughs> yeah. I know, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Um, and then I, I asked, I said, I, I asked the, them, I said, why, why do pirates deliberately try to get low grades in school? Well, because they're only used to the High seas. <laughs> the high seas, right? Yeah. Right. Well, okay. You asked for it. Sure, I have one for you. This will be my last one, so don't ask again. I, I, a patient went uh, to the doctor and said, I think I have ADHD. I can never remember where I parked my Ford. The doctor's like, that's not, how, that's not how ADHD works. And he said, but I keep losing my focus. Uh. <laughs> Ford focus. Yeah. All right. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. <clears throat> Why remain faithful? Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Man, I, you know, and we're not going to take the time to go through it all, but the fact is, is that throughout history, God's been looking to the people, his people, to be faithful. Faithful even, if necessary, unto death. Now we in this generation and the time in which we live, at least in America, we've not been called to give our lives uh, in the sense like that, to die on behalf of Christ. We've been told to live on behalf of Christ. And uh, <clears throat> historically, however, through the centuries, many believers have literally laid down their lives for their faith, for the word of God for what they believe. It's hard to wrap our minds around that kind of, of, of sacrifice, that, that kind of need, uh, but it was very necessary in their generation, in their day, and today we worship and we praise and we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We continue to teach and to train and to promote the gospel because there were those who willingly uh, sacrificed it all. Now, 
The Apostle Paul, he put it this way when he wrote the Corinthians. He said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so he makes it very clear as he begins to share with the Corinthians and as he talks to the Corinthians that they're to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. And, you know, unfortunately, even in that day and age, there were those who literally were steadfast unto death. They literally gave their lives. He would speak of our journey as being a race that is to be run. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, the Bible says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the masteries is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I not as one that beateth the air. He goes on to say, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He's basically saying, listen, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to die to self. I'm going to bring myself under, under, I'm going to bring my body under control, if you will. Why? So that in the end, I don't end up a casualty of war. I don't end up a fatality of the Christian life. And, and ultimately, you know, I'm a castaway. I'm not able to be used any longer for the Lord. And he said, listen, I don't want to preach a message to you and then turn around and do the, 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 the opposite. And so he's pointing out that we need to run the race to the very end. We need to reach the finish line of victor. And again, he's making it clear, you're, you're going to have to crucify the flesh. I'm going to have to crucify the flesh if we don't want disqualified from the race. Now, when it came time for the Apostle Paul to die, he tells us that he did finish the race. It's clear, biblically, because it says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7, he says, for now I'm ready to be offered, which means he's going to die soon. And the time of my departure is at hand. It's, it's, it's ready. I mean, my ticket is stamped. It's ready to go. I'm just waiting for the plane to take off. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And that's exactly what the Lord would have for all of us as believers to do. So why must we remain faithful? Why do we need to be steadfast and unmovable? And I said I wanted to give you three reasons. And so we began talking about that. And we said, first, there's a generation to follow. So we said, remain faithful for others. Then we noted there's a judgment awaiting. Remain faithful for yourself. You're going to face the Lord. You're going to give an account. I'm going to give an account. And tonight, we're going to continue by pointing out another reason to remain faithful. That reason, there's a Savior who loves you. There's a Savior who loves you. Father, we come to you. We want to thank you for this opportunity that we will now have just to take a few moments in the Word of God to be inspired, encouraged, and motivated, Father, to draw nigh to you. You said if we'll draw nigh to you, you'll draw nigh to us. We don't have to worry about whether or not you'll receive or accept us. You said already that you would and you did. You said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Thank you that we've not been cast out. 
Lord, even when we are so unworthy of your grace and your mercy and your love, you still love us anyway. Now, Father, we're asking you to meet our needs. Thank you tonight that we have a God that loves us, a Savior who cares, that, Lord, we're not alone in this life in which we live. Help us to remain faithful as we remember your great love for us. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so there's a Savior who loves you. Why should I remain faithful? Well, because there's a generation to follow. Because there's a judgment awaiting. Because there's a Savior who loves you. A chaplain was ministering to a soldier in the hospital and he said, you've lost an arm in the, in a, in a, in the great cause. And the soldier said, I didn't lose it. I gave it. I didn't lose it. I gave it. Can I tell you that Jesus did not lose his life either? He willingly gave it. Turn to John chapter 10, would you? Again, I know that these verses are familiar, but, you know, and, and they say that uh, familiarity breeds contempt, but I also know that in teaching, you know, repetition is the key to learning. And so we never want to forget the love that Christ has for us. And, and notice what happens here in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. <clears throat> We're going to recognize, we realize very clearly here that this was not the Romans. It wasn't even us. It, it was Christ himself that chose to give himself. Notice, therefore doth my father love me, John 10, 17, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. No man taketh it from me, he says, but I lay it down of myself. Now, Jesus didn't lose his life. He gave his life. And you know, you say, well, what's the motivation for this giving of self? Well, in 1 John 3, 16, we read it, but it says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. Why did he give of himself? Because of his great love, his great love for us. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he, God, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. My, oh, my, the motivation... Why did you die? Why did you give yourself? Why did you allow the Romans to nail you to a cross? Because I love you. Because I love you. He gave his life for us so we could be reconciled to God. Brought back into fellowship with God. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. To be reconciled, brought back into fellowship with God. We know that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked with God, or at least there was that relationship and fellowship that we acknowledge and we note. But then there, there came sin, and when sin entered, it separated mankind from God, and God even had to remove man from the Garden and send him out. Why? Because of sin. But Christ died on Calvary because of his great love for us so that we could be reconciled back to God, brought back into fellowship like pre-sin days. 
Colossians 1.21, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Verse 21, Colossians 1.21, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to, preserve, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Think about what transpired and took place as a result of the love of God that led him to Calvary to shed his perfect, precious blood for us, that in his body or in that flesh, as he says, through death, he presents us holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Think about that, a holy, righteous God and us being the sinners that we are. We can stand before God because of the precious blood of Christ, the sacrifice of his body, and we can stand in his presence holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. That's amazing. That's miraculous. Paul points out the power that the love of Christ had in his life and it should have in the lives of every believer. Because as we think about, again, this element of why in the world remain faithful, we say there's a Savior that loves us. I want you to see how Paul viewed that love, what he says about it. Look, if you would, over in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five. Notice this simple passage. He says, "For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead." Notice that phrase: "The love of Christ constraineth us." We see the driving force in Paul's remarkable life. It was the love of Christ. Why in the world did Paul leave his old life behind? Why did Paul allow himself to be submitted to the mock, the mocks and the, uh, the mistreatment of humanity? Why did he suffer the way he did and permit that to continue in his life? Why did he spend countless hours mourning through the night, sleeping little and working a lot? Why did he do that for Christ? Because of Christ's great love. That's why the love of Christ. See, the driving force in his life was Christ's love. Why should we remain faithful? And how is it that Paul gets to the end of his life and he can say, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. I've done what, exactly what God called me to do. How is that? It was the love of Christ. That word, to constrain, it means to compel or to force. It means to urge with irresistible power or with a power sufficient to produce the effect. So what Paul was saying really was, when he says, for the love of Christ constraineth us, it's not just Paul, but those that traveled with him, those that were believers that he had been in contact with. He's saying that the love of Christ compels, it even forces us. It urges us with ir, I mean, just irresistible power. 
We can't help. We can't help but to hold down the hatches. We can't help but to stay faithful. We can't help but to simply withdraw ourselves from the world. We can't help but live our lives on behalf of Christ. Can't do it. We just can't do it. It's it, the love of Christ compels us, it forces us, it urges us with irresistible power. I sometimes think that one of the reasons why we struggle so much in our Christian lives is because we really don't understand His great love for us. I want you to note a very important truth from that passage. It wasn't, and this is important to understand. When he says, for the love of Christ constraineth us, it wasn't Paul's love or another believer's love for Christ, but Christ's love for them that moved them so. See, it was always his love for them, not their love for Christ. Someone says, well, I'm struggling. I just need more love for the Lord. (laughs) Yeah, well, and it's when it's all said and done, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. See, you know what's going to make us love him more? To understand how much he loves us. See, that's what's missing then. It's comprehending and understanding the love of God in our life. To know how much God loves us will only move us to love him more. The more he loves me, the more I love him. It's funny because in the Word of God we see all these roles that were maybe touched on briefly in our conference uh, this past weekend. But roles, whether it be of husband and wife and children and others. But guess what the motivating factor for everything is? It's always love. It's always love. It's because that's God's economy. That's how He operates. That's how He functions. That's what moved him to leave heaven. That's what moved him to take his place on Calvary. That's what caused him to give his life on our behalf, to lay it down, his love. And it's that love, as we really reflect on it, as we allow it to sink in into our lives, that we say we can't hurt him. We can't do that to him. He loves me too much to do that to him. How many times as a young man or a young lady chosen not to do something that was wrong because they feared hurting a mother or a father that loved them so. I mean, that is really the goal as parents. There comes a point in our lives as we raise our children that our children don't just obey us because we say so. We can't make them do things at some point. Sooner or later, they've got to want to do them. And the fact is is that we want to help them understand it's not the fear of a spanking anymore. It's the fear of hurting mom or dad. It's the fear of disappointing them. And that's where God wants us to recognize how much he loves us to the point where we don't want to disappoint him. After all he's done for me, how could I ever hurt him or harm him like that? And yet, let's be honest, we all struggle in that, that area because of our own selfish desires and selflessness or selfishness but notice we're told a little bit about love look in first corinthians chapter 13 see if 
All this was dependent on your love for Christ, my love for Christ. We'd be on shaky ground because our love waxes and wanes. How many times has a young couple started off so in love? Oh, they can't even be around. Oh, 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 oh. And about five or ten years later, it's like, And even sometimes they're sitting in an office saying, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. If you only knew what I got to deal with. Boy, are we, I'm telling you, if it was our love to Christ. I mean, thank, thank God for the spirit that Brother Don and Kaylee have about losing such a close loved one. But honestly, how many people have grown bitter toward God when they've lost someone that close? And they'll say, I don't know if I can love God. How could he ever take someone that precious away from me? If that's the kind of God he is, I want nothing to do with him. And that happens more than we would like to see. See, it's not Paul's love for Christ. It was Christ's love for Paul. Notice this issue of Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, as, he, as, as the apostle now is going to describe this love. This, this is a love that God intends for us to, to experience as well as to share. Notice beginning in verse 4, chapter 13, verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. We could stop there and park for about a year and a half. I love my wife. I just treat her terribly. I'm not very kind to her. Oh, well then what kind of love is that? It's not biblical love. Right? Right? Oh, I love my husband. I just, uh, well, you know, I just can't deal with him. He just drives me crazy. Well, I'm glad you're long-suffering. You get where I'm going with this, right? Now think about this. See, you know what the, the fallacy of everything is, is that somehow it's our love all the time. As a believer, it's never about your love. It's about his love. See, it's not even his love that you're to love your neighbor with. I mean, uh, your love that you're to love the neighbor with. It's his love you should love your neighbor with. You say, I can't love certain people at the church. That's because you're trying to love them in your own love. Trying to muster it up. It's all based on stimuli or how things are turning out or the circumstances. But God doesn't love you based on circumstances because if he did, he'd stop loving you. He'd stop loving me real quick, wouldn't he? Praise God. His love is consistent. Notice, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Is, oh, wow. It's not selfish, is it? Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, re, not, but rejoiceth in truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, 
Wow. You got to bury your head in the sand if you got this kind of love. But anyway, bearing all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Watch this. Charity never faileth. Wow. See, that's Christ-like love. That's his love. Now listen, that ought to be the kind of love that we demonstrate in our own lives toward those that we come into contact with because, see, Christ lives in me and Christ lives in you. He's not asking you to love the world in yourself. He's asking you to love the world. He's going to love the world through you. That's why we got to get close to Christ. That's why he wants us to be conformed to the image of his dear son. He wants us to be like Jesus. Why? So that we can love with Christ's love, not our own. Our love will go up and down like a roller coaster ride, but not his love. It's consistent. It's constant. It faileth not. And that's the love that moved Paul. That's the love that constrained him and held him back from the sin or from wanting to quit or give up or stop. He said, no, I'm going to keep on going because of the love of Christ in my life. So the love of Christ compelled and urged him with irresistible power. It moved him. It moved him in what ways? Look at Philippians chapter, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. We'll read through verse 10 to start, but notice he says, again, the apostle writing to the church at Philippi, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And there's a comma there. Notice he goes on to say, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now notice verse 10. That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now jump down to verse 13. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You say, how... how? How did this love manifest itself in his life? I mean, what did it move him to do? Well, in Paul's life, the love of Christ moved him to surrender. In verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He surrendered his life. He surrendered his past. He gave it up for Christ. He said, they were, those things that mattered to me no longer matter. I have Surrendered all. Just like the song. I surrender all. 
I surrender all, all to Jesus, no, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. That's what Paul did. He surrendered it all. Why? Because of the love of Christ. Because of Christ's love for him. He said, I'm just surrender it all out the window. Who cares? It's all his. But Paul's life was moved also. It, I mean, that love of Christ moved Paul to service. In verse 14, it says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God's got a work for me to do. God's got a, a goal line for me to hit. He's given me a, 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 a vision and I've got to reach the goal. I'm going to have to work harder than ever. I'm pressing toward the mark. I want to win for Christ's sake. I mean, it, that love of Christ moved him to surrender. It moved him to service. But it also moved him to sacrifice. In verse 10, the Bible says, he said, he said to them, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Here it is. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I, I, you know what? There's a part of me that wants to suffer so that I can understand how much he loves me. How much the price that he paid on my behalf. I want part in all of that. Man, that's something. The fellowship of his sufferings. Boy, I tell you, the love of Christ constrained him. The, the love of Christ moved him. It compelled and urged him with an irresistible power to surrender, to serve, to sacrifice. And it moved him to the Savior. To get closer to Christ. Notice what it says in verse 8. Right at the beginning of verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And in verse 10, that I may know Him. I mean, the love of Christ caused him to want to know Jesus Christ all the more. I mean, why is it that we should long for Christ because when we recognize his love for us, it should, like a magnet, draw us to him. If we don't find ourselves wanting to get close to Jesus Christ, it's probably because we lack the understanding of his love. We can't wrap our minds around how much he loves us then. You know, how many people have I dealt with and maybe you yourself have dealt with through the years and, and, and you talk to them and they say, I don't, I don't, think, I don't even know how God could love me. They, they do. They feel like God just could not love them because of the state they're in or maybe something they've done in the past or maybe something they're even presently doing. And may I say that biblically and scripturally, the Bible doesn't predicate God's love on our actions or how we respond to him. It's all based on what he himself has chosen to do. You say, why does God love you, preacher? Because there's no reason why he loves me. There's nothing lovable about me compared to a holy, righteous God. 
Why would he want anything to do with me in and of myself? So it doesn't matter. You say, well, you just don't know what I've done. Who cares? Because the fact is, is that there's not one of us worthy of the love of Christ. He just simply loves us because. I'm not saying that as we serve him and as we yield to him and as we give to him that he doesn't bless us in certain ways. And if we fail to follow him and submit to him and obey him, that he won't necessarily bring chastening into our life to draw us back. But it's all because of his great love, he says in Hebrews 12. But he doesn't love us because of what we do. If he did, we may not need the Savior. We could convince him how wonderful we are because what we do for him. But it doesn't matter what we do. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done anyway. But by his mercy, but by, by his mercy. I mean, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. He loves us because. But Paul's life was moved to the Savior because of the love of the Savior. Say, I don't feel very loved by God. Well, that's just the devil. I, you, the devil's trying to convince you you are unworthy of the love of God. But the truth is, none of us ever are. And so you might as well just get a hold of this thing. God loves you no matter what. Now get close enough to him so you can feel it. I mean, really, that's the bottom line. You don't get close enough to feel the love of God in five minutes of Bible reading and prayer a day. I'm sorry, but we are living in an instant society today where we think we just go through the drive-thru and get all the love of Christ and feel it all and we just have joy unspeakable, full of glory. You don't get it like that you got to spend time with Him. So do I. And we got to spend time in the right places. The Word of God. The house of God. With the people of God. You know, love will move a strong man to sit down to tea with his toddler daughter and even extend a pinky while drinking a spot of invisible tea. Now here's this guy, 240 pounds, solid muscle. He's got his pinky out, and he's like, this is so good. That's love. That's what love will do. Love will move a mother to coach a baseball team, even though she really doesn't know very much about baseball. My mom coached our seven- and eight-year-old team while while we were waiting to find a coach. My dad was coaching the the 9 and the 10-year-olds and the 7 and 8-year-olds, and it was fast pitch in those days. We didn't have no tees in those days. We were tough kids. You just got hit a lot because no pitcher had any control. (laughs) But we went down there to have our first practice, and there was no coach down there. No coach. So my mom steps up, and she says, well, we'll try to have some kind of practice. And for about, I think it was a couple weeks, my mom was the coach of the team, if you will. I mean, we didn't learn a lot about baseball, but we did all learn how to throw. (laughs) We were all throwing the ball like my mother was. All those boys down there, seven and eight, they're all like, hey. (laughs) It was pitiful. But that's what love will do, right? 
Love will say, I don't know. I know nothing about this, but I'm going to do something because I love, these, I love my kids and I love these kids and I, I want them to have a good time and oh, it's not their fault there's no coach right now. Isn't that crazy? That's what love will do. Love will drive a man to work hour on end to provide for his family and meet every possible need. Love will move a mother to fight the greatest foe in order to protect her kids. Hey, why remain faithful? Because there's a Savior who loves you. A mother living in an apartment building went shopping for groceries. While she was in the store, a fire engine raced by. She thought to herself, is the fire engine going to my house? To my home? My apartment building? She was in a tough spot in her life, and she may have not done the smartest thing, but she left her baby asleep at home. And forgetting about the groceries, she ran toward her house in a full sprint. Her building had caught fire, and the fire hoses were aimed right at it, and it was burning like a matchbox. Rushing to the chief, she said, my baby's up there, my baby's up there. He shouted back to her, it'd be suicide for anyone to go up there now. It's too late. A young fireman standing by said, Chief, I have a little baby at home too, and if it was my house that was on fire, I'd want someone to go up and save my baby. I'm going to go. And he took off running into that building. The young fireman climbed the stairs, and he made his way to that particular apartment, and he finally found his way in, knocking down the door, and there he found the little baby as the smoke was consuming the place, and the fire was starting to creep in and he threw his arms around that baby and he went to the window and he tossed that child into a safety net or into one of those nets. And just as he did, the house collapsed and he was burned to death. It's 20 years later now at a graveside. The 20-year-old woman is quietly sobbing. In front of her was a grave, a statue of a fireman. And a man stopped by and he said, was that your father? She said, no. No, it wasn't. Is that your brother? No, sir. That's the man who died for me. You want to know how much Jesus loved you? He loved you enough to die for you. Amen. That's the man that died for you. What great love. Why remain faithful? Because there's a Savior who loves you. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for the wonderful love that you have on our behalf. Thank you so much that we're so undeserving. And yet, Lord, we want to say thank you. I pray, dear God, you'd speak to our heart. May your Holy Spirit move in the midst. And may we, Father, 
make a conscious decision to stay faithful, to remain faithful. Lord, we need to, we must. Thank you for your great love. May we never, ever, ever take it for granted or grow weary in it all. May we always cherish that love and enjoy it. And do our very best, although it's impossible, to repay it. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand every hand.